0: Lesson three, the names and operations of demons. And again, this is, this is a, these lessons are Bible lessons. We're doing a Bible study. We're not trying to spook anybody out or creep anybody out. As I said last week, somebody came to me. They are a little concerned. They said, Pastor, you've always taught us whatever you teach on is what we see. Now, does that mean if I come to this Sunday school class and I sit in this teaching, these are going to start manifesting? And I said, that's not what that means at all. So don't be weirded out by this. But if they do pop up, you just cast them out. One thing is for sure, as these days unfold and the end draws near, we're gonna, we are going to see these more and more. But we're not to be freaked out by them. They're just demons. They're just, they're just demons. Demons. Now they can produce a fear on you because that's one of their abilities, just like the Holy Spirit produces a peace, demons can produce a fear, but that doesn't, that's not a natural fear, it's a supernatural fear and you can just resist it. The last time I had a demon visit me was when we were filming the, uh, or editing the video we did on tattoos. And, and Michael and I were up here at the church till about 1.30 in the morning, and I, I went home and I got in bed And I had no sooner about to fall asleep than all of a sudden, this wave of fear came into the bedroom and gripped me. And then I perceived, I recognized the presence of a demon. And I said, whoa, I recognize your fear. I've had demon fear on me many times before. And I said, wait a minute, what are you doing in my bedroom? What are you doing in here, you little demon? And I could tell you right where he was at. And then it it dawned on me, wait a minute you're here because we just finished that video on tattoos. I've really upset you, haven't I? And that that whole time the fear was gripping me and I'm just talking to this thing. And I said, well, you know what? You can just get out of here in Jesus name. And just like that, he's gone. And I fell asleep. No fear, but I didn't do anything to get the demon except expose what he was doing. So we're teaching this not to freak you out. And when you deal with demons, when they come and visit you unawares They'll bring a fear that tries to grip you, but you just recognize it and resist it and cast it out. Now, when demons manifest in people, it's something totally different. There's a boldness that'll come over you to just cast them out to deal with them. Uh, when it's manifesting through somebody you're praying for, that shouldn't weird you out either. Either their eyes start to roll or they growl or talk at you in a weird voice. That's no big deal. That's when the party starts. That's when you just grab them by the head and just cast them out till it's all said and done. We're not here to weird you out. We're here to put a confidence and a courage in you, letting you know what your enemy looks like, what his tactics are like, and just just to get you prepared. Uh, in Africa, we've observed that when demons manifest, it doesn't freak anybody out. In fact, even when we were in Uganda uh, in 09, and that demon manifested in the man on the platform at the outdoor crusade, everybody gathered around to watch it, even the kids. It's only us in America, highly educated, highly intellectual, fully dumb, that we're so spooked out by Hollywood that we get creeped out by this stuff. But in Africa, our experiences have been a demon starts manifesting and rolling up on his neck and kicking his legs in the air. The kids gather around. They want to see it. It's just natural to them. We're the ones that make it super spooky. Oh, my gosh, it's a demon, just like in that movie I saw when I was 17 and shouldn't have been. Anyway, let's get into our lesson here. The names and operations of demons. The Bible uses many names to describe Satan and his minions. These names give us insight into their many personalities, roles, operations, and strategies in the earth. Thank God the Bible uses so many different descriptors for our enemy, and these descriptors let you know how they operate. They let you know what he's doing. They let you know his plans and his tactics. And so that's what we wanna study in this lesson so we can see when sometimes perhaps our goofiness is not just flesh, It's not just an unrenewed mind. It's not just natural paranoia, but it's actually a demon entity. And as we said just a few moments ago, in these last days, demon power is going to get more and more and more ramped up. In fact, right before service, Mr. Luke was sharing with me about a a news article he just read about this child with bipolar disease. They are now estimating one in five children in America have mental disorders. One in five, that's 20% of our kids are now uh, not bipolar, not just bipolar, but have some kind of official mental disorder. I, I think we could understand that that wasn't so 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago. And in this particular article, it said that this boy, he's, I don't know how old he is now, but he's classified as bipolar. He said he started off, he saw demons as a child and heard voices that made him want to hurt his brother. And he was telling, he said, I've always been able to see demons. And that's what he calls them. And I've always wanted to hurt people. Not that every child with bipolar has a demon. We're not saying that. But you can see this this attack on mankind is ramping up more and more and more. Brother Sumrall said at one point in his ministry, the Lord spoke to him that there would come a time when one third of America would be demonized. That's what Brother Sumrall said. He said, the Lord spoke to him and said, there will come a time in your nation when one third of the population will be demonized. Now we're 300 million right now creeping up towards 350. That means 100 million demonized Americans. That's why we need to be mindful of this. And in this day and hour, flesh is always gonna be flesh and there are the works of the flesh, but when flesh comes together with a demon of like-minded purpose, things get messy very quickly. Now, we're not saying that every time we're in the sin, it's a demon, but we're also not saying every time you mess up, it wasn't just your flesh. We deal with the symptoms regardless, and we do the word, and we, we, we rebuke our flesh, and sometimes if it's a devil, we just rebuke the devil. Amen? Amen. All right. Satan. Let's jump into this list here of names. Satan. And there's Bible references here, so you can always go study it out. This, the name Satan, that's what we know him as. His name started off as Lucifer, which meant star of the morning. Lucifer is actually a God-given name, and it's a good name. Now, of course, who it represents has become bad. Just, we don't name our kids Lucifer just like we don't name our kids Judas, just like we don't name our kids Jezebel. Brother Brett was telling me, though, in Africa, there was a young man named Nimrod. <laughs> now, Bugs Bunny made Nimrod into a dumb name. You know, because Elmer Fudd was you Nimrod. But Nimrod was the first hunter in the Bible, which is where the term came from. But then Elmer Fudd was such a doofus, when you call somebody a Nimrod in post 30s America, you think you Nimrod. But Nimrod was the king of Babylon and a, a demon worshiper. So I don't, when I hear Nimrod, I, I still fight the Bugs Bunny image. You Nimrod, which meant hunter. Uh, I, I, you have to also understand, according to Genesis 6, after they came off the, uh, the boat, Nimrod built the Tower of Babel, and he hunted souls and enslaved people, and he began Satan worship, all in Babylon. His tower was called Babel. His city was called Babylon, and Nimrod began it all. He began a pagan worship that continues on to this day, and when you start to study the esoteric uh, nature of Satan worship and paganism and the occult, it all goes back to Nimrod, so don't name your kids Nimrod either. <laughs> but Satan is how we know him now and it means accuser, uh, excuse me, adversary or war enemy. Satanos is the Greek term, uh, adversary, war enemy. That lets us know you can never ever have a peace treaty with him. Yeah. So you don't even bother. And anything he offers to you is only to hurt you. And he 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 packages death up so pretty. He makes it so lovely. He, he makes beer commercials so attractive. Mm-hmm. He makes perverse sex so wonderful. He just can package it all up so wonderfully so that we don't even realize we're uh, uh, just taking death into our midst, war. Next one, ruler of the air. There's a term for you. He's called the ruler of the air. This lets us know of his spiritual nature. He's over the whole earth. And we know according to Ephesians 6 that there's powers of the air. That lets us know where their habitation is. It's in the heavenlies. It's not in outer space, but it's over a region. You're not gonna cast out the demon that's over America. It's over America. You're not gonna be able to do that, but you can cast out little demons that are in people. The little demon that came and visited me when we did tattoos, the tattoo video, I don't know what his name was. I didn't ask him, I didn't care, but I could cast him out of my house, but whatever's over the region, I can't cast out. It's a higher authority. But we know that these things are called the ruler of the air. It lets you know that we're not dealing with uh, natural things or carnal things. We're not dealing with chairs or handguns. We're not dealing with missiles. We're not dealing with bulldozers. We're dealing with something that's ethereal. It's, it's in the air. And so that lets us know something about his nature. Prince of this world. This speaks of the realm of his domain. He is still called the prince of this world. That's what Jesus said. Now hath the prince of this world come. And he has found nothing in me. His whole domain is the world. In fact, even the Bible says of Jesus, the Lord said, come and sit at my right hand till I make thy enemies thy footstool or the world thy footstool. That hasn't been done yet. Jesus is still seated at the right hand and these enemies are bound until the thousand year reign of Christ. And where are they operating? They're operating in the earth right now. When Jesus comes into his millennial kingdom, which he has not done yet, all these demon powers will be bound for a 1,000 years. Until then, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father waiting for this time. Until he comes back, these demons, they operate in the world system, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. All you can do is oppose it, resist it, and produce the kingdom of God everywhere you go. Jesus Christ never cast out Satan over a region. He just dealt with individuals, one at a time. In fact, in a sense, he even had to submit to Lucifer coming to him. He had to submit to that temptation to be taken up and shown the kingdoms of the world. And he even told, this verse talks about, he even said, now hath the prince of this world come. And he didn't say, and I'm gonna resist him and cast him out. He basically said, he's come and he has found nothing in me. And in that regard, it almost as though it says that the Lord Jesus allowed the, the devil to inspect him. Now hath the prince of this world come and he has found nothing in me. And I teach you guys that we want to make sure when Lucifer comes to visit us again, and he always does, that he finds nothing in you that he has sown. Every one of us allows stuff to be sown into us. We have to make sure that when the prince of this world comes, he doesn't find any of it. Attitude, carnality, we've not fed our flesh, we've not picked up new traits, new perversions, because he will come. The Bible lets us know He, he departs for a season and then he comes back around to see, can he get another toehold in her? Well, that which I sold, sowed in him six months ago, uh, is it ready to harvest? Or hopefully you went and pulled it up and cast it out. Amen. Prince of darkness, this describes his kingdom. Everything about Lucifer is dark, dark motives. And that's why the Bible is so clear. And we are not to do anything in private, nothing secret. Now, of course, we understand private matters of family. We understand that. We understand private aspects of marriage, but our motives should not be private. Our comings and goings should not be private. You can tell when someone's yielding to a familiar spirit or just the darkness of the age when they just kind of sneak in and sneak out. Pastor Vaughn used to teach us that only rebellious kids come and go out the back door. This kingdom of darkness is a dark thing and it puts darkness in Christians causes motives to be hidden, causes attitudes to be hidden, and it really produces this wicked work in us if we're not careful. But he is the prince of darkness. We want to make sure that we are children of light and everything we do is in the in the light, it's in the open. We as a church ministry, we we try to keep our finances open, we have them always posted. We try to have an open door policy. If you want to ask about it, we can talk about it. We don't try to do anything in private. We try to live open lives before each other. Just to be children of light. We don't want to give any room for darkness. Darkness, how many perverse things grow in darkness like mold, you know, nasty things? We don't want any of that, we want light. We want things that make for light. The God of this world lets us know who worships him. The world does, the world system. And the more the world system worships him, the more he's able to establish his kingdom. We want to make sure we have nothing to do with his kingdom that we confront it, we resist it, we oppose it. We don't talk about those things that they do in private. We want to make sure that we're establishing God's kingdom, not this world's kingdom. The more the world yields to him, the more he is strengthened and the more he's able to go and, and prosper and flourish and take over new people. I'm convinced, and we'll, walk, we'll watch this as it unfolds more, the more the world embraces Darkness and they're, the world's embracing it. The Lord told uh, Doctor Barclay a while back that this world is addicted to pleasure, and we might even add to that the world's addicted to sin. The world wants it; they can't get enough of it, and it's being packaged as beautiful. And you know that the new saying is, "We want to be on the right side of history." You know, so oh, I don't, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. So let me embrace everything the world has to shove down my throat. But the more the world's heart, by the world, I mean the people, the more the people's hearts crave darkness and perversion, the more it's going to look like the days of Noah. Where the Bible says the people's heart were only set on evil continually. was what's going to bring around the judgment of God again. Perhaps that's what will trigger the rapture again. The people's hearts are so set on evil and perversion, the voice of it, the noise of it makes its way into heaven. Now, of course, God hears even the faintest murmur, but there's something about it spiritually when the noise of it is so great, I don't want to say it disturbs heaven, but at the same time, it seems to, from what the Bible says, disturb heaven, and it has to be silenced. Now, God will try to silence it through revival, by sending preachers to turn the hearts of people so they stop mocking God. But for some reason, it just seems as though heaven can hear it and heaven despises it and something will be done to stop it. Either they will repent and revival and penitence or God himself will smite it. And this is what we're walking into. Now, we know the Lord will not destroy the earth again by water, but next time it'll be by fire. So he promised not to destroy it again by water, but he never promised to never destroy it again, Period. And we know he will burn it with an all-consuming fire after he smites his enemies. I saw something similar to this a couple years ago when we were on the man trip and they had the the oil spill. Remember the big oil spill that was in the Gulf? And when we were down there in Destin on the man trip, the the oil slick was slowly making its way towards Destin. In fact, they actually shut down fishing the day after we left or the day we left or something to that effect. And one morning I was in prayer, I don't know about, balcony. And there was just this great hopelessness in the air. And I thought it was just kind of like the end of all things is at hand. I thought it was, it was, uh, you know, the raptures near. And I thought, man, this, this is heavy, Lord. This is heavy. Uh, are You coming back today or tomorrow. And then just in prayer, the Lord spoke to me and he showed me, no, what you're hearing are the hearts of the people of destiny. Because they're, they're terrified. The whole chatter of the whole community, the, what was on the hearts of everybody in the whole community is what's gonna happen to our livelihood. Will this oil slick bankrupt us? And so it produced a, a voice in the spirit that was a heaviness And the whole region of Destin and the Pensacola, the Gulf Coast there. The voice of that region was, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And I, could just, I was just slightly spiritual enough in prayer to pick up on it. But it was just the voices of the region. They weren't concerned about sex. They weren't concerned about alcohol. They weren't concerned about politics. They were concerned about this oil slick taking out their fishing and tourism industry. And in that region, it produced a voice. And I remember as we drove out of there, it lifted because you know you move away from the coast, nobody's worried about it. That was just a little microcosm of what the earth is doing with sin. We want sin. We want perversion. I want to marry my boyfriend. I want to marry my girlfriend. I want to marry my dog. I want to marry my robot. I want to marry this tree. And the hearts of the people are getting set on darkness continually. You, we have to make sure that you and I, our heart hates evil. Our heart hates perversion. We have to make sure we hate even the garment of our clothing spotted by flesh. That's how we have to make sure we lean against it. Because this spirit, it gets so consuming. If I, I'm sure if I had stayed... There in, in uh, Destin, I might have been worried too. It might have rubbed off on me and gotten my heart caught up in this, this, this the perversion or the, the fear. The God of this world, that's where he rules. And this describes his kingdom. The devil, moving on here, slanderer. The word devil means slanderer. He runs down God and Christians. As a pastor, I have, uh, in dealing with folks in the church who have moved through the church and gone out of the church, I can, there's been many, many, many times when somebody has come to me and slandered one of you or run down the church family. And every time it's, every time I've heard a conversation like that, something on the inside, I was God, but it rises up so big, not that I ever would, but I could literally punch somebody in the face. That's the anger it puts in me. Because I know it's, I, I recognize it as the devil. This person, this individual has been yielding to a demon that has turned them against the church family, against you as an individual. And it's one thing to have a complaint, Pastor, what am I going to do with Miss Angie and toddlers? She, she you know, this or that. that. That's a justifiable complaint, and that, that's, that's reasonable. There's times, though, that I can tell somebody has yielded to a devil because they want to come and slander. You guys, the church family, and even though we might be dealing with you or we might be, I might be upset with you because you did something dumb, the second that devil starts talking through somebody to slander you, I've never felt so protective and want to run somebody out of dodge because that's what the devil does. He slanders God and he slanders the body of Christ. He's the accuser of the brethren. It happens every once in a while in our church. You have to make sure it never happens to you. Don't ever let some voice or thought begin to feed on you to turn you against the body, against your sister, your brother. Because I tell you what, we love you, but if that's your mouth, I will so swatch you so hard. I did about a couple of weeks ago. Somebody ran the whole church down, and I looked at him and I said, that is the most stupid, most ridiculous thing I've ever heard anybody say about anything. I would repent if I were you. And somebody had just walked up on that conversation. When they heard me thump that person, they just turned on and walked off. <laughs> the other person was there. They were frozen in their tracks as if to say, if I leave, I could get in trouble. If I stay, I could get in trouble. I don't know what to do. I'm just frozen. It's the devil was talking to that individual, though. Now, they didn't know it, but their heart had slowly been turned. And after about a two-hour conversation, we got a lot of stuff worked out, and they repented of that slander. Be careful that... This devil doesn't ever cause you to be a slanderer as well. We defend the body of Christ. We don't cut it off. Not a one of you would ever take a a knife and cut your finger off unless you were crazy. And that's what devils do, they make people crazy. Dragon, a horrendous beast devouring, breathing out death. That's how the Bible describes Satan, a dragon, a horrendous beast. If you could really see him for what he was, a horrendous beast with an insatiable appetite, always wanting to consume more Christians, more believers, more souls. Uh, serpent. This describes his nature as silent, sneaking in with venom to destroy. He, he slithers in and out. There are times when he is a horrendous beast. I'm sure you go to Mardi Gras, you can see the beast that is Lucifer. You go to San Francisco, I'm sure you can see the beast. But you were, if you were to go into a church, he'd be more like a Serpent slithering in and out of God's presence and God's people in between your toes and you don't even realize it. He has this ability to adapt to us and we have to be ever mindful. Beelzebub. This in the Hebrew means uh, Lord of the flies, which of course is where they get the title of the famous book that everybody had to read in English lit. It's all about the, the decay of young educated boys from a parochial school. Lord of the flies. And this describes his nature as far as a Lord over all demons. They're always flying around and he's the Lord over all of them. Beelzebub. Belial. This word means wicked. And that is everything about him is wicked. The word wicked is also where we get our word wick or or, uh, wicker. And it means to twist and to braid. You've seen like wicker baskets and wicker chairs. You take things that are perfectly straight and you begin to twist them. So there's still somewhat useful, and there's still some quality and integrity about them, but you begin to just twist it. That's what we do when we become sons or daughters of Belial, we take truth and we twist it. We take half truths and we promote it as full truths, or we only tell part of the truth that makes us look good. The Bible uses the term over and over again, they were sons of Belial. Don't take thy, daughter, thy servant as a daughter of Belial. One of the things we have to fight as Christians is that we don't become like Belial, wicking things or wickering things or braiding things, taking the truth and twisting it, taking the circumstances and twisting it. Perhaps the greatest thing I deal with as a pastor, counseling or meeting with folks, and I this is the first lesson I learned as a pastor and has been perhaps the toughest to master, is when dealing with marriages or dealing with problems, the proverb that always nails me is, he that answers a matter before he hears it is a fool. And the biggest thing I get in trouble with God over and over again is giving a judgment on a marriage situation or giving a judgment on a strife situation without fully hearing every detail of both sides. All right? Because both sides are just as convincing. Because both sides believe they're right. And both sides believe the other side is wrong, and both sides stand with all of their heart and conviction saying, It's their fault. It's their fault. Never has a marriage come into my office or my home or a phone call and they said, It's all my fault. Never. Ever. And even after I hear their cases presented, I know that both of them are still wicking the truth. They're both still taking what they see and twisting it. And so it's very difficult to give accurate judgment. And I cannot tell you how many times I've walked away from a situation that blew up and I said, I did it again, I answered a matter before I fully heard it. But I'm even learning more and more, you never get to fully hear it. Yeah. Not for your sake, not because it's your fault, but because of their. They'll never tell you, well honestly, pastor, in private, I'm a jerk. I put on a good face at church. I know how to act like I'm a loving wife or a loving husband, but I, I really, I'm a total jerk and I don't want to be, but I am. And you never get that. Everybody has this flesh desire and ability to take their truth and twist it and sell it as straight. It's straight. Well, from a distance, it looks straight, but if I get up close, it's three pieces of truth twisted. And yeah, you've made a straight rod out of it, but the essence of it is totally twisted. That's the working of Belial. It's a sin nature, but it's also a demon that will come and get you. We don't want to be anything like that, hath God really said. Just barely, you know, quote part of the scriptures instead of giving the whole truth. All right, let's move on. Adversary. This lets us know he stands against the church and its mission. Anything you do for Jesus, if it is Jesus, is going to have opposition every step of the way. If you can just blow and go and God, and, and there's no opposition, you have to really wonder, is it God? The enemy opposes everything that is anointed. In the spirit realm, the anointing is like a beacon in a dark cave and the flies are drawn to it. Flies aren't drawn to darkness. They are darkness. Flies are drawn to light. So if what you're doing is God, you will be resisted. I would be concerned if there's no continuous resistance or continual resistance in your life. You may be going the wrong direction. It may be blowing the wind into your sails. Adversary. We have one. He never turns off. Accuser of the brethren. He has always desired to bring chaos and division through accusations. We got to make sure we're not accusers, not in our marriage, not with one another. The Bible says love covers that multitude of sins, so we're not making accusations. We're investigating truth. We're praying. The same tool you pray with is the same tool the devil will hijack to make accusations. The same tool the devil had to worship Jesus in heaven with is the same one he now perverts us with his mouth. We have to be very careful of our mouth. That's why especially for ladies you get a hold of your emotions and men too men are just as emotional we just have different a different set. We can do the most hurtful stupid things with our mouth when we're emotional. And oftentimes and this is one of my personal convictions oftentimes you actually release more faith when you're emotional than when you're just kind of doing the dead, dry faith confessions. Your heart is so charged with energy because of anger or resentment or jealousy or hurt, and you'll say with your mouth, I will never trust again. And you mean it more than you realize you mean it, and you've just declared a thing and begun establishing it. And in one one spoken sentence, it may take you six months to recover that through hours hours and hours and hours and hours of prayer. And that's why you've got to guard your mouth Amen. and your heart. Let your heart scream all you want, but don't release it with your mouth. Say, Lord, you hear my heart. I can feel it. It is rumbling in me. Lord, please help me to put a guard over my mouth so I don't say something dumb and destroy my world. And then we end up spending 15,000 faith confessions to try to add up to what we did with one emotional heart of carelessness. Accuser of the brethren, the enemy. The enemy. Well, that very explanatory. What is the enemy? Not your friend. We have so many churches in bed with the enemy, though, and inviting their enemy to run their churches, to run their homes, to run just any manner of life. Dr. Barclay teaches it. He said, uh, the Lord showed, told him years ago about things in your home that are demon bait, we were, I was in New Orleans last week, and we were walking through some antiquing there through, not the French Quarter, but another neighborhood over from the French Quarter. That antique shop made my head spin to no end. There was so much voodoo and witchcraft and Buddhas and every manner of demon bait for sale to be hawked in that antique shop. And I was just looking for something I could find in Tennessee, like a coal lantern or pocket knife. or They did have some neat belt buckles. I'm looking at belt buckles, but then so much junk that just brought demons with it. You've got to make sure that you don't have uh, the enemy's possessions in your home. It's going to be different for every culture. There was a whole bunch of African masks there. And I thought, well, you'd be a fool to bring that into your home. Brother Brett told us that their missionary friends were over in Kenya and brought back some Maasai dolls. Maasai is a tribe. And that, 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 those missionaries aren't even spirit filled. And he said, we brought back a spirit with those things. There was some kind of curse on those little Maasai dolls, something we would buy. But you just have to be careful. That stuff's demonic. It's consecrated to devils. And demons recognize, hey, that's mine. Can I come get it? And they find a home they can take comfort in. And don't try to be super spooky, but it's the truth. Yeah. Amen. 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 The tempter, he knows your weaknesses and, your, and sets traps for you. Now, we don't blame every sin on the devil. The Bible says that you are enticed by your own lust. And the Bible's very clear in Galatians 5 that the works of the flesh, which are manifest, are these. It's the work of the flesh. We had a conversation with a guy on the airplane a week ago, and he, we were talking about some of this. He said, so do you think when folks get into sin, it's a devil? I said, absolutely not. The Bible's very clear. It's the works of the flesh. But now a devil can come and activate that flesh desire like you've never known possible. We've, we've taught before recently that spirit of lust can get on you and fire up lust like you never knew you could be in lust, or greed and get on you and fire up greed like you never knew you could be greedy. But don't, don't give the devil all the credit. You can be greedy all by yourself. You can be in lust all by yourself. You can be angry all by yourself. But he is the tempter. He knows what, what flesh works you have pioneered and mastered. He knows which ones you were good at. He can come along and give you a boost. And you're back in that old track, just lickety split. So this lets us know part of his, his other nature. The wicked one, his motives will never be true. Wicked. Just like we said, he takes the truth and he makes wicker out of it. He, he takes scriptures and just halfway quotes them. When the, the spirit of death came on me three years ago and the devil told me I was going to die a martyr's death, you got to believe he pulled every scripture out. How do you fight martyrdom with the word? It's a biblical experience. It's not a promised one, though. And so it took the still small voice of the Holy Spirit to show me all these verses on life and living a long life that I never even knew were in the Bible. It took this very, very small voice, so quiet, I could barely hear it, to say, that's not me. Look at this verse. That's not me. This is my promise to you. But the devil was able to take every scripture of truth on martyrdom and and blend it together and bind me with it. To where there were days I'd just stay in bed four or five hours at a time, didn't want to get out, just so depressed. And my wife would say, get out of bed. This can't be God. Don't you see how how hard it is, honey? Why are you so Get up and speak to yourself, honey. you going to let the devil do this too? Pastors already said it's ain't God. At some point, you got to get over. Just do something. He's wicked. He'll take verses. The devil will take verses and feed them to you because he knows the Bible better than we do. The thief, he wants to steal your joy, peace, health, family, life, etc. He comes to steal. Lots of times he doesn't even have to, though. He'll just talk you out of it. He will wheel and deal with you like a used car salesman, and you'll think you got a good deal. You gave your joy away for what? <laughs> then you realize you didn't really deal. You were stolen from. You were thieved. The murderer. The Bible calls him a murderer. He is a killer of life and hope. Hate is also murder. So be careful you don't give in to hate. The only thing you're permitted to hate is the enemy and sin. That's the only thing the Bible permits you to hate, sin, not each other. If you hate each other, you've been yielding to this murderer of the demon power. A roaring lion. This describes how he moves and his appetite He's always on the lurk. He's always on the prowl. He yells and, he's, and he has this appetite that is always hungry. And if he grabs a hold of you, he will absolutely destroy you. Years ago, there was a teaching that the devil's been defanged. That's absurd. Now, it was a popular teaching and it made people excited that he's been defanged and declawed. Really? I'm watching him draw people into his world and destroy them. That doesn't sound like a big old pussycat to me. That'll just gum you to death. The devil's got a hold of me. He didn't gum me. That that is a ludicrous teaching, perhaps with a lack of true understanding. Like we share with you, Brother Summerall said he was he wrote that book years ago about and the chapter said the devil's a scarecrow and Abaddon, Apollyon, showed up and said, I am no scarecrow. I destroy nations, I destroy cities, and I'll destroy you. And he said, I never finished the book. <laughs> We're to have respect for our enemy. Because I, as a pastor, I watched him sink, sink his claws in people and pull them away. Years ago, there was a National Geographic magazine and they found a, a skeleton of an ice man who had holes in his skull. And they're trying to figure out what happened to him. And they came to the conclusion with some other paleontological, anthropological research. He had been attacked by a saber-toothed tiger. And his holes were the tiger's claw, sc- uh, teeth in his skull. And they have since seen, you know, you've seen the tigers bite into something and drag it off. Apparently this poor chap, he, the, the, the saber-toothed tiger, bit into his skull and drug him back to his lair with fangs in his skull. That's one way to go. And uh, apparently, you know, didn't bother with the skull. Once he got there, you know, got him off his teeth and ate the rest of them. But I watch the devil pull people away from our church, away from the kingdom away from the body of Christ, away from the call of God. I think it's an absolute absurd teaching to say the devil has lost his power. Yeah. Amen. Amen. The Bible tells us it's going to get worse. So he's still lion with teeth and claws and he'll take a swipe at you. A liar, there's no truth in him. So we got to make sure we're very truthful with our mouth. An oppressor, he cannot set you free, only enslave you a lot of folks are convinced that uh, he can set them free. Even this, the heresy of the hyper grace is teaching us that doing the word is bondage. I've never been more free. <laughs> you're free from God. You mean serving God's bondage. You mean repenting of sin is bondage. You mean acknowledging your sin is bondage. What you're saying is you're free from doing the word. So you're 100% word free now. Because serving God is such bondage. He's a liar. He's an oppressor. He will only enslave and crush you. He's a mind corrupter. The Bible says that he's blinded their minds. His thoughts will confuse you and corrupt your thinking. Anytime you're confused, the Bible's very clear. God is not the author of confusion. Uh, Marlon and I, when we were in Zimb- uh, South Africa a couple years ago, we went into that, that shop selling African crafts. Boy, that made our head spin. You said it gave you a migraine. It was creepy. In fact, it, like, it was like the back half of the store to me was even worse than the front half. And it just made, your, made my mind spin for a long time. Being in the, the antique shop in New Orleans, that made my head spin. And I told my cousin, I said, this place makes my head spin. There's a bunch of demonic hoodoo in here. Let's get out of here. Sometimes I sit down with folks at in my office and their minds spins so much, they sit down in my office, it makes my mind spin. Even to this day, I can still sit down with folks and I think, all right, well, your mind's not spinning as much as it was eight months ago, so this is better, but I want you to hurry up and go home because I need to speak to this because as long as you're here, I don't have victory over it. But you walk out of here, I'll speak the word. My mind will stop. You can take your little rotation with you. That's the devil, a mind corrupter. His thoughts will confuse you and corrupt your thinking. Any confusion, not of God. Confusion is the worst place to make decisions. And sometimes I watch Christians make the biggest decisions when they're the most confused and it always bites them in the rear end. When you're confused, you don't make any decisions. You just keep on doing what you've done for the last 10 years and say, Lord, I'm confused. I don't know which way to go. Do you know when it's foggy outside, you don't speed up? And the Lord doesn't expect you to speed up when it's foggy. He expects you to slow down because that is what the Bible calls wisdom. And when there's a fog in your mind, he's not expecting you to make the most critical decisions of your life. He's expecting you to slow down and use caution. In fact, there's a new proverb word called discretion. When there's a fog set in, you use discretion. Abaddon or Abaddon, depending on how you want to pronounce the Greek, Abaddon or Apollyon, destroyer. He cannot create, only destroy. We need to be very mindful he is not a creator, he is a destroyer, he is a perverter. These are all qualities. Uh, unfortunately, as we study these, a lot of us have had these working in our life, both through the flesh and even yielding to the corruption of the day. So let's look at some specific spirits mentioned in the Bible. Obviously, not every demon that's out there is mentioned in the Bible, but the Bible does give us quite a list. Spirit of infirmity. This spirit produces infirmity, sickness, and weakness. There's sometimes it's just a spirit of sickness. When you're always sick and the doctors are clueless, it's probably a spirit of infirmity. Some folks are hypochondriacs, they invite this spirit into their life. I am convinced, though, don't quote me as a medical professional because I am not. What's that disease? They don't know what to call it, so they thought fibromyalgia. I'm convinced that's a spirit of infirmity. Because the doctors have no idea what it is. So they just make up a drug, make billions off of it, and the side effects are worse than what your symptoms are. But you're solved. You're cured from something they made up. I'm convinced that's a spirit of infirmity. That's my opinion. Take whatever medicine you want to take. But I find that when people have a heart to go on and just won't quit, fibromyalgia just magically disappears. Because even the heathen will resist that spirit and it'll depart from them. Don't forget the sons of the Pharisees cast out devils too. Dumb and deaf spirit. I wonder what that causes. Dumbness and deafness. And I'm convinced that one attacks a lot of Christians, the dumb spirit. We should probably maybe call it the mute spirit. But I'm convinced that there's a verse when my wife and I pray healing scriptures, we always get to it in Mark. It says, and the man had a spirit and it was dumb. And we say, yes, he is very dumb. The demons are dumb. Unclean spirit. This works to make you unclean, unholy. This includes sexual deviance. A blind spirit causes blindness. A familiar spirit. These assists astrologers and palm readers. These are also spirits that are just, we generally call them those that are assigned to you. They are familiar with you. There's a lying spirit. This will cause you to believe a lie. Not just tell a lie. You can tell a lie all on your own. But a lying spirit also causes you to believe a lie. They kind of work hand in hand. They're both telling lies and producing this, this goofiness that'll just cause you to believe a lie. When someone has a lying spirit in their life, they'll lie to you and you'll just, you'll just be convinced that it's the truth. A lot of perverted preachers have this working in their life. They are just, we call them shysters and shucksters and hucksters and charlatans. It's a lying spirit. Spirit of lunacy or insanity. All insanity is demonic activity. And if you've, you've recognized it's getting worse, we used to put them in insane asylums. Now we've decommissioned those because they were called inhumane. And now we let them roam the streets heavily sedated with the same devils they have. We just suppress their bodies through pharmaceutical drugs. The hypocrisy of our nation is the, the big farm, P H A R is just as evil in the eyes of the left as in the right as Big Oil. And even at medical facilities and university teaching schools, medical schools, there's such a undercurrent against pharmaceutical companies because they make so much money and they don't give away their prescriptions for free. Big Pharma or Big Pharmacy is just as hated by the activist society as Big Oil as whatever. But the thing is, that's the only solution the world claims to have for demon-possessed people. So what, what a conundrum, what a quandary we're in when we hate our help, but we won't recognize the real help. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Seducing spirit entices people to leave their known assignment. That's probably, that's a Brother Sumrall definition. A seducing spirit entices you to leave your assignment, whether it's your, your marriage, which is your assignment, your kids, your church, your career, your calling. That's what a seducing spirit does. It entices you to leave your assignment. A binding spirit binds people up mentally and physically. Foul spirit, same as an unclean spirit, Morally impure, jealous spirit provokes people to fits of jealousy and insecurity. Fearful spirit grips people with fear and insecurity even to the point of paralysis. It's what we'd call a panic attack. This is a spirit. I have only recently felt this for the first time in my whole life when I had the panic attack caving on the end of that 75-foot rope. And this thing attacked me and said, you're never getting out of here. They're gonna have to rescue you. And it, it made my whole body tremble. And I remember looking at it going, Whoa, this is what they call a panic attack. This is trippy. Look at my hands tremble. Look at my heart melt. And then after about 30 seconds, I said, shut up. We're getting out of this pit. Shut up, shut up. And just had to speak to it. And then it left. And then what the other crazy thing is, just like that, my mind instantly remembered how to rig the ropes to get out of there. I couldn't, it was just like paralyzed me. Some folks live this way daily. And I, I have so much more compassion on them. I can't imagine living that way daily. Literally every day at the end of the rope, trapped in a pit. Except you're in your home, you're in a car, you're on the job, you're holding your baby. It's a spirit. It is a demon. And now I'm scientific, so that kind of removes a lot of emotion from me. I would think you see the same explosion chemically over and over again. You stop mixing the two chemicals together, or you begin to recognize what this thing feels like when it hits you, and you can completely just discount it oh, it's only you again, and march on. That's the spirit of fear. Others not mentioned in this list, spirit of confusion, homosexuality, hunger, lust. There's a spirit of hunger, and it makes nations to starve to death. This, is, this works in Tibet. This works in Africa. It's a demon spirit, emaciated skeletons that come across a nation and just plunge the whole nation into a famine. You don't have to agree with that, but it's the truth. Lust, rage, greed, avarice, murder, religious spirits, and the occult. Demonic possession. Let's run through this real quick. Demons seek to possess a body. They will settle for animals, as Mark tells us, but want a human body for their widest expression. Jesus Christ and his early disciples encountered many demon-possessed people and cast the devil out of all of them. Here's several examples. Jesus encountered demonized multitudes, multitudes of demonized people. He never freaked out. Can you imagine a thousand people and half of them are screaming with demons' voices? Yeah, they don't like to manifest. They would rather stay hidden and work covertly. But when they do manifest, it's because the anointing has taken a ball bat to their wasp nest. Jesus had a ministry of casting out devils. We should too. The early apostles and disciples cast out devils. There are varying degrees of demonic possession. The gathering demoniac was always in torments and crying out, while the lunatic son was often throwing himself in the fire and water. Yet the one with the spirit of divination was able to walk about and operate as a seemingly normal human being. Different degrees of demon possession. Demon possession affects people differently based upon the demon personality. It can bring supernatural power such as palm reading, hypnotism, psychics, martial arts, firewalking, dagger swallowing. It can bring destructive behavior such as suicide, cutting, depression, bulimia, and anorexia. Demons gain entrance to lives by deception and sin. Live free from sin and deception, and you'll not have to worry about demonic possession. Glory to God, we've been given all power and all authority over demon power, and we are commanded to cast out devils anywhere we might encounter them. We don't chase them. We're not like storm chasers, and we don't go asking to see one. We just serve Jesus Christ, and if you serve Jesus Christ, they'll pop up from time to time, and you just deal with them there. It's just like snakes. We are not the crocodile hunter. We don't go chasing this stuff. They always bite you. But when they do pop up, you just deal with them. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for blessing this third lesson on the names and operations of demons. May we be further equipped to deal with demon power in these last days. May we not be fearful, but may we get the victory over all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.